0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. For more information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon.
1: A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaan, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Sumerians, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers cast out the demons you received without payment give without payment the word of the lord thanks Thanks be be to god
0: God. friends let's take a moment and pray together gracious god as we consider the scriptures we just read It's not our natural default drive to be slow, intentionally listening, to open our ears and our eyes to a new perspective. On the contrary, our lives move so quickly and we already have so much frustration and confusion and voices coming at us a thousand miles per second. And so now I'd ask that as we take time to listen, So we take a moment to breathe and consider that your Holy Spirit is closer to us than our next breath, that you are not only around us and above us, you are within us. You see us and you know us with all of the ways we are so beautiful, radiant, good people, loving one another, in all the ways we are so broken and fractured, full of contradiction, not very good people, at odds and in conflict with one another. And the reality is we go through this life, a mixture of all of those competing attributes, most of the time. You see us in all of our diversity and complexity, and you love us. And your response is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your Son, Jesus Christ. So help us to see that you're actually moving toward us right now. Teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives will be transformed. And then send us out, Lord. To be your hands and feet of renewal wherever we go, just as you sent out those very first 12 friends of yours as we just read. Have your way in us and through us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your way. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, I don't know how to begin a sermon like this when the world is swirling around us and there's so many different thoughts and uh, actions and feelings going on. This, you know, When people ask me, how am I doing? I still say I'm both heartbroken and hopeful most of the time. I did have one high point earlier this week when one of my best friends from high school, Jaden, came over with his family for one of our first socially distanced barbecues. And On the back porch, we set up two tables. Florence had a nice tablecloth and a centerpiece on each. And as we continued to go on into the night, he and I said, let's go take a walk to our old high school. We both went to St. Augustine High School about 10 blocks south of here so we walked from my house, and it's about midnight, we're going around Saints and poking our head through the wrought iron gate, saying, do you remember that football game? Do you remember what happened right there? And oh, this is where we had, you know, Spanish class. Do you remember what that teacher was like? And uh, it just dawned on me in the moment where here we are, two Anglo guys with lighter complexions walking around at midnight, sticking our heads through these fences of private property without a care in the world. I don't think either one of us was concerned about the police being called on us. Or even if the police did approach us, I think either one of us would have taken it more as a friendly conversation and a, hey, we're just a couple of guys walking down memory lane. And it struck me that if we both had darker skin, that there would be a lot of different feelings going on in that very moment, that there would not be the luxury or the privilege of being able to walk without a care in the world and just enjoy that moment. And as I talk with my black and brown brothers and sisters, and over the years I realize I've been in the car with black friends as you've been pulled over before. And for me, it's, hey, watch me talk myself out of this ticket. This is going to be fun. And for you, it's a very tense moment, and it's fight or flight with all the adrenaline moving through your body because you know what can happen in the next moment. And so I'm both heartbroken and hopeful at the same time now I do realize friends that as soon as I start a sermon with a story like that some of you are saying good I'm so glad that we're starting the sermon by talking about race because race matters and black lives matter I also know that some of you are going goodness gracious it's on every news feed and I thought that maybe Sunday morning was the one place where we didn't have to talk about this and others of you are probably thinking You know, I'm not sure where this is all going. I'm a little uncomfortable right now, but I trust this church, or maybe you trust me. I hope, and we can. You'll say, "Look, I'll go with you on this journey, and we'll walk together." But here's the thing: I just need to level with you. It is really hard for me to preach um, online during COVID-19, anyways, especially when it's time to have a heart-to-heart conversation about racial justice, uh, about uh, fear, about racial reconciliation. And yet, uh, I'll tell you, part of my fight or flight is that I would just rather not talk about anything and just keep it on the sunny side. And yet, the church is called to be a healthy family. And in a healthy family, you can talk about anything. The church, I believe, is also the hope of the world because it is called the body of Christ and his very hands and feet and mouthpiece in this world. And so if the church is silent in times of injustice, the world is losing its hope. It is our calling, especially in a moment such as this, to not look away, but to look toward the pain of our friends. To not walk away, but to walk with them. So we're going to explore that in the context of our scriptures for today. Now, here's an interesting thing. I'm not sure if you're aware. I have not been choosing the scripture passages for each Sunday. These have actually been given to us through the Global Church's book, of particular readings for a particular Sunday. That's called the lectionary. So these are the scriptures that would be read in most churches around the world, from California to New York to Europe to Africa to Asia to Latin America, everywhere, are, uh, are looking at these passages right now. And I think it's intriguing that Three weeks ago, we looked at Pentecost that showed us that when God's Spirit comes on the scene, the mark of the Spirit is that people of every ethnicity and culture stream together in peace and harmony and joy and love. Last week, we looked at the Trinity that tells us that God throughout all eternity is a diverse community, three in one Father, Son, and Holy Spirit joyfully loving one another, dancing around one another with creative love throughout all eternity. And you and I are created in the image and likeness of that God. So we are designed to live in diverse community filled with joy. And today we come to this passage where Jesus calls his 12 epicenter core followers and then blesses them and sends them out in their mission. So let's look today As Jesus calls these twelve, and we will see Jesus' compassion, Jesus' companions, and Jesus' commission. Okay, First, Jesus' compassion. As he enters in that first passage, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, curing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. First, we see his mission. His mission is teaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and sickness. His mission is both proclaiming the kingdom of God with his words and embodying the kingdom of God with his actions. Right? It's moving in one direction through his words and his deeds. The kingdom of God is on the move as people who are far from God are being brought into the center of God's presence and love and renewal and people who are on the outside through disease and sickness are being brought to the inside through health and wholeness. The kingdom of God is dynamic and it's on the move. And in the midst of all that dynamic, energetic movement... He saw them. A God who sees. A Jesus who in the midst of all the renewal activity is not too busy to take notice of hurting people. You know what this means? He sees you. When he saw that they were harassed and helpless. Harassed is a, uh, in Greek is the, the word torn. Torn. It's an image of harassed by all of the external things that keep piling on and happening to you. And helpless is the idea of being internally disheveled. They're harassed from outside, they're helpless on the inside, and he sees them. Friends, he sees you in all the ways that you are harassed. That you are torn by any number of voices and perspectives that are competing for your attention right now. For the ways you are harassed and you're becoming wary and exhausted by living in perpetual uncertainty of life. For the ways you are tossed out and tossed about by financial insecurity. He sees you in the ways you are running from your pain, where you are self-medicating. And maybe you're beginning to realize what used to be the solution is becoming a problem in your life as addictions are growing and taking root. He sees you. He sees you in the ways you're helpless, in the ways your inner critic is beating you up and telling you you're going to amount to nothing and you're going to fail, that your best days are behind you and the future is bleak. He sees you in the ways that you are confused because there's so much coming at you all the time and you feel like you're just barely catching your breath. You don't know what to do. He sees you in the ways you're frustrated and regretting the past or scared and fearing the future. He sees you. How are you harassed and helpless? And how does it make you feel to know That God is not standing far off and merely watching your life unfold, but God is intimately concerned about you. He sees you. He sees us in our moment of national pain along racial lines. He sees us in this pain exploding at every seam. He sees you, maybe this is the first time that you've encountered racism intentionally. And it's overwhelming, and it's exhausting, and it's shocking, and you feel like you don't know what to do, and you usually do know what to do. And since you don't know what to do next, you're tempted to say, maybe we just shouldn't do anything. It feels like you're drinking from a fire hose. And it's so much. He sees you. He sees you, friends, as you've been involved in racial equality and justice your whole life. He sees you if it has not been by choice, but it's been because of the color of the skin that you were born into. And so when you leave your home, you go into a world that you know was not designed for you. And even now, you're tired and exhausted. You're frustrated and upset. On one hand, perhaps, you're glad that Others are taking note and walking and marching. And at the same time, you wonder how long the soul of this country can keep it up before we go back to the short news cycle to creating a world of comfort for ourselves. He sees you. A God who sees people in need right now. Hearing and witnessing stories of black lives, of black brothers and sisters who are hurting and in pain. A God who sees George Floyd and his family. Who sees Breonna Taylor and her family. Who sees Ahmaud Arbery and his family. Who sees Rayshard Brooks and his family. Who was gunned down two days ago outside of Wendy's in Atlanta. A God who sees. And He has compassion on Him. That word compassion comes from two words that means to suffer with. A God who not only witnesses the pain of this world, but actually experiences it with you. A God who is committed to putting this world to rights, even to the point of taking all the pain and brokenness and injustice and frustration upon his own shoulders, even to the point of death on a cross. Now that's compassion. That's a God who sees you not only sees you, but enters into your suffering. Friends, I hope as you hear this, it gives you a wider perspective on our current moment together. That all of our stories, as deep and beautiful and tragic as they are, take place in a much bigger, broader, beautiful story of God's all-encompassing love. And that's why we choose... To not look away from the pain of each other's lives. But we look toward as difficult as it is. We choose to not walk away from the pain of other people's lives. Even though it would be far more comfortable and convenient. But we walk toward. We walk with. We stand beside. And as we do, we pattern our lives after Jesus' compassion. We see Jesus' compassion. We also see Jesus' companions. The people that He chose. Gosh, if I was starting up a new movement to change the world, I would probably get together a bunch of really high-functioning, high-power, high-finance, high-reaching individuals with tons of talent that can just woo the world and start a movement. And Jesus calls together a diverse community of people who don't normally belong together, gathering together around Him for the sake of those who don't belong. Jesus gathers together a diverse community of people you would not normally find together, and they gather around Him for the sake of those who don't belong. You see, we read that list of 12 names, some of which are difficult to pronounce, so shout out to my friend Stephen for crushing that reading. We read these names, and we think, okay, maybe, you know, I'm a good Christian, I'm going to try to memorize all 12 names. We miss that names, especially then, and still today, names have meaning. These people's names have stories. These people's names would not normally be said together in the same paragraph. Let me give you an example. Here's a light example. You read about Peter who started out as Simon and his name was changed to Peter. Simon to Peter. Peter, uh, the Greek word is petros, which means rock. He will be the rock. His declaration that Jesus is the Christ will be the foundation of the church. This was a fisherman. You can imagine how strong and rough his hands were. you got James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who Jesus is going to rename the sons of thunder. And they were also fishermen as well. So Peter, James, John, the Rock and the Sons of Thunder, these are tough guys. These are guys with big triceps and heavy hands who can stay out all night fishing and all morning drinking beer as they clean their nets. And Jesus says, you three, I want you to be a part of the nucleus of this community. And then we have Thaddeus. We don't know much about Thaddeus' life, but we do know that the name Thaddeus in that culture connoted an effeminate man. A gentleman, a mama's boy. So Peter and James and John are reading Guns and Ammo Magazine or Fisherman's Weekly, and Thaddeus is reading Better Homes and Gardens. And Jesus says, I want all of you in my family. I want you all to come to the table. You have different interests, different hobbies, probably a different vocabulary, and yet you are all now brothers at my table which will be extended to brothers and sisters as the kingdom of God unfolds. Let me take it one step deeper. Here's what we do now. You have Matthew the tax collector sitting at that table with Simon the Canaanian. Other translations call him Simon the Zealot. Now the context of this moment is that Israel in Jerusalem is being occupied by the Roman Empire in the midst of the Pax Romana. The Roman Empire has their foot on the neck of Israel. And Israelites cannot stand it. And there were different responses to the occupation and the oppression of the empire. Matthew chose a response of, if you can't beat them, join them. And so Matthew was a Jewish man who would work for the Roman government to go back to his own fellow people and extort them by enforcing them to pay not only taxes, but to overpay their taxes. And he was getting wealthy often. This guy was a collusionist. This guy was working with the occupying empire to crush his own people. Simon the Canaanite, or Simon the Zealot, would have been on the exact opposite side of that equation. A Jewish man who could stand the Roman occupation no longer. And so his response, rather than giving in, would be to fight back and to fight back with violence and to fight back to the very last drop of his blood and last drop of his tears to end the occupation at all costs. And Jesus says, Matthew, who's helping the occupation, and Simon, who would fight it to the death, you two are now brothers at my table. I call you to myself. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus is choosing companions that would never ever belong together. And the unifying principle of what can help them come together and call themselves brothers is not that they think the same way, not that they act the same way, not even that they believe the same way at this point. The unifying principle of the disciples, which becomes the unifying principle of the early church, which is the unifying principle of Renew San Diego, is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which brings people of every ethnicity and culture, socioeconomic status, place in our faith, family status, orientation, all of us can gather together around him. I also want to point out that even here, when it lists the people that are with Jesus, We know that Peter will later deny Jesus three times unto his death. And right here, and Judas, Iscariot, you know, the one who betrayed him. That even from the beginning, there's this foretelling of Jesus saying, I'm inviting friends and enemies to my table. I'm inviting those who will lead to peace in this world and those who will lead even to difficulty in my life, even to the point of death, and all are invited to be a part of my family. Friends, is your perspective of your social circle that wide? Or do you settle for being around people who, by and large, look like you, make a similar amount of money that you do, take the same kind of vacations as you do, eat and drink the same things you do, vote and read the same political blogs or news channels that you do. So your life has become an echo chamber of false comfort that just merely affirms all that you already think and believe. What would it look like for you to pattern your life and this week to intentionally identify somebody who God has placed in your life who is different than you, to get a hold of them, to share your story and ask some questions about theirs. At Renew Church, we are developing such trust with one another because our unifying principle is Christ, that we can actually say to each other, hey, I heard you say this, or I saw you write this on Facebook, and I actually disagree, but I respect you greatly. Help me understand how you came to that conclusion don't you see how this is the way to greater unity and the way to greater growth in our own lives? There's this beautiful verse in the Old Testament that oftentimes Bible study groups will like to quote, and it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Until you consider, how does iron actually sharpen iron? Through friction that creates heat. But through it, it becomes more sharp more beautiful, more useful, more its true self. And so friends, I'm grateful to be a part of that process with you. I am grateful that 2,000 years later, this picture of who's invited to Jesus' table is extended to you and me. Let's continue to work, not only to make our lives a place where people that are different from us are welcome, listened to, learned from, that our church would become a diverse community that reflects the coming kingdom of God and all its diversity. But let's take it beyond that, out into the watching world that is yearning, longing, and needing to live in this sort of diversity that is not created from uniformity, but is created from the grace of God that flows out to all. We see Jesus' compassion We see his companions. Let's take a moment and just look at his commission. So the final paragraph. These twelve he sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. You received without payment. Give without payment. Jesus' commissioned. First, he says, to whom they shall go. Now, some people can spill a lot of ink on this and wonder if this is actually a narrowly focused commissioning because he says, go to the lost sheep of Israel, don't go to the Gentiles. But actually, you always have to interpret Scripture in its particular context. And we see here that he's giving a particular group specific directions on what to do next. Of course the gospel ends up going beyond Israel. We see in John chapter 4 that Jesus intentionally went through Samaria and had a great conversation with a woman of Samaria who ended up bringing her entire town to meet him. When the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9 comes to have this epiphany experience and a faith renewal experience, the first thing that he learns is he is called to go to the Gentiles by Jesus. So we know that the gospel, of course, will go beyond the bounds of Israel. If it didn't, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you about Jesus 2,000 years ago and half half a world away. But in this moment, he tells them, here's where I want you to go. Do you have a sense right now of where God's calling you to go? Or if you don't, do you have some time carved out in your day to ask him? We spend so much of our energy thinking planning, strategizing, and we miss the still, small voice. I wonder what it would look like for you in your morning meditation time tomorrow to say, Lord, I'm just going to take a minute and breathe and expect that you're going to meet me in this place. And if there's anyone you want me to go to today, would you put them on my mind? And then do it. And then do it. He tells them specifically where to go, and then he tells them what to do. He says, proclaim the good news. What is the good news? The good news is the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the good news that is echoed in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I came across an interesting article this week in the New York Times uh, where Bob Dylan gave a very rare interview. The Nobel Prize winner discussed mortality. And in it, he said, he begins by talking about gospel music. The article is entitled, Bob Dylan Has a Lot on His Mind. It's by Douglas Brinkley. It came out June 12th, just a couple days ago. And uh, Bob Dylan says, gospel music is the music of good news. And these days, there just isn't any. Good news in today's world is like a fugitive treated like a hoodlum and put on the run, castigated. All we see is good-for-nothing news. It stirs people up, gossip and dirty laundry, dark news that depresses and horrifies you. On the other hand, Bob Dylan says, gospel news is exemplary. It can give you courage. You can pace your life accordingly, or try to anyway, and you can do it with honor and principles There are theories of truth in gospel, but to most people it's unimportant. Their lives are lived out too fast. Too many bad influences. Sex and politics and murder is the way to go if you want to get people's attention. It excites us. And that's our problem. Friends, not much has changed in 2,000 years. And it's into that world of confusion and fast-paced and violence That Jesus comes and says, The kingdom of heaven has come near. Through his words and through his deeds, he is showing what it looks like for a people to be drawn together to actually know the God that created you, to know your vast identity in him, that the truest banner over your life is beloved, that he's creating a new community. Of diversity in the midst of a world that lines up along tribal lines. He is creating a new tribe indeed, but the people invited to be part of that tribe is everyone, is you and me, as a new creation is birthed in the midst of the old. Now, it's interesting when you look at his commissioning, he says, Here's what I want you to do go proclaim good news and cure people, go in word and deed. Where did he get this commission? It's what we read at the very beginning of the passage. It's the very things that he was already doing. To be sent by Jesus into this world is to be sent as Jesus into this world. Or as he said himself in John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And so you you and I now are called to be a part of the healing of this world. Even as we confess our own complicity in it Even as we have our own blind spots exposed. Even as we are vulnerable together about the ways that we just don't get it. And we're talking about racial equality and justice. And yet each of us harbors our own racialized thoughts in our minds. And so we're uprooting it at the very core. But we're doing it with courage and humility. Because he's at work in us. That we're actually teaching our children a new way. That we're feeling empowered in a world that says you have no control. Because he is at work. Now the final thing I need to leave you with is, don't try this without the gospel. Over the years I've had the privilege of ministering to some amazing people working for social justice, for human rights, working among the poorest of the poor, the outsiderist of the outsider. That wasn't a word yesterday, it is now. And it'll burn you out. That work will eat you up. You can throw 168 hours a week at that work and barely scratch the surface. So Jesus says, don't go try to live out the gospel without the gospel. His words are, you received without payment, give without payment. The whole idea of receiving without payment is the idea of grace a free, undeserved gift. Friends, he says to you and me, look how I love you. Look how I move toward you in all the ways you don't get it. Look how I forgive you. I go to great lengths, even to death on a cross. Look how I give you a new hope and a new future, even to the point of an empty tomb in my resurrection that tells you that pain and sorrow and even death and injustice will not be the final word on this world. Look to me. And as you do, You have an ocean of resources to draw from, to go forward with humility and with hope, to go forward with urgency and with patience, to go forward with the joy of the gospel. This, my friends, is our great invitation today. Let's pray. Gracious God, I pray now, as we are harassed and helpless, that you would be the one Who is the Good Shepherd to us? Help us to realize that you see us in all our questions, in all our frustrations, in all our anxiety. And you know us. Help us to realize you see the pain of this world, especially among our brothers and sisters of color who are rallying the cry for the world to wake up and take notice of injustices that have long gone unspoken and unchanged. And may this be a moment where we not only receive your compassion, but we echo it out into this world. Help us to see your diverse companions and give us great gratitude that we are counted among that number with all the ways we get it and all the ways we don't get it. With the ways that our lives are two steps forward and one step backwards, you still call us to your table time and again. And help us to hear your commission that says, go and do likewise. Love one another as I have loved you. Lord, may our lives be marked by grace. May this world be marked by your kingdom, which is on the move even now. Help us to live as citizens of that kingdom, as ambassadors of it as well. We pray all these things for our good and for your glory. Amen.